I'm really happy to be here. It's really like coming home. Cynthia here, Brett's in uh, Singapore. They're among our dearest friends, as are Jim Critcher and his wife, Angie, who've been suffering for the sake of the gospel in Europe. And, um, but I'm very, very happy to be here. I have my wife, Kathy, with me, one of our daughters, Elizabeth. So I love coming back. Kathy grew up in this area. I told Brett I'm going to take your stool, but I got to have me a little table. All right. So introductions aside, it's great to be here. And I kind of, this is not a message I wanted to speak, but the more I waited in the Lord, the more I felt I should have. So I want to kind of answer the question, why are you here this morning? What is this about? I'll pray in a moment. No matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or kind of feel orphaned depending on what day you wake up, like I do, you're concerned about just the spiritual life of our country, whether it's the plague of porn or fatherlessness or abuse or, I mean, gosh, I, I think to myself, God, there's just a, a, such a brokenness in individuals all the time. Now, despite those statistics and really the reality of them, I've never been more optimistic about the church. In fact, as we come into the latter half of this decade, and we're about four and a half years into it almost, by the end of June we will be, we're going to see an increase in the numbers of people being touched by Christ in a way that will amaze us. Darkness doesn't scare me because light is always greater. I'll never forget there's a little boy going down into Carlsbad's caverns in this big, massive cave in New Mexico, and they turned the lights off. It was just sticksy, and it was so thick you could almost feel it. They lit one match, and something was dispelled. So I talked about, how, what is God going to do? I'm going to entitle this message Dragnet. How many remember the show Dragnet? You're dating yourself. Okay, all right, me too. <laughs> I, I'm not talking about police cars today or dragging in criminals. I'm going to talk about kind of a constructive church life. Now, Holy Spirit, help us today. Such a privilege to be here with my friends and family. And I'm asking these, just these brief minutes to kind of define where we are. In Matthew 13, 47 and 48, Jesus is with his disciples. And he spent a lot of time with a small group of men and women. And he's introducing to them here a new construct of church life. Now, there are a lot of metaphors and constructs of church life in the Bible. Have you heard this thing, the body of Christ? Okay. That one scares me. Jesus is the head and we are the rest. You ever look in the mirror and go, I am the hands and feet of Jesus. That ought to scare you. I look in the mirror and go, man, you, you probably could have done a little better than me, Lord. But it was either us or angels. And whenever people meet angels, that claps and faint and everything. So I guess better us. Then we also find that we're the house of God. Like, what's that mean? That means when we come together, God comes home to us. How many of you felt God this morning in worship? You can't prove it empirically. You just know you did. As God began to love you, you, you were flooded with neurotransmitters and you were feeling all kinds of things. And so we have all these constructs. But in Matthew 13, 47 through 48, Jesus presents kind of a critical metaphor or construct of what is the church like? What is the kingdom of God like? It's especially important of, in light of where we find ourselves as a country, as, a, as just a, the, the beauty of what the United States is. And many of you are from other countries, and so there's no place like home, but no place like home for me. I travel the world, and despite whatever concerns I may have, I'm glad to come home. 
Why has God put you in the most strategic area in the whole world politically? Why would he do that? I think Jesus answers that question. He says in Matthew 13, 47 and 48, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Now, the word net here is the word for dragnet. Um, it's the only time this word for net is used in the Bible. And remember, Jesus is likening you to this net. So I want to help you understand from the very beginning, this is not, not what you do. You're not the ones that, here's the bad news. You're not the ones that cast the net. You're the net that gets cast. Do you get that? I want to help you understand this now. Now, a dragnet basically, they still use in the day, but now they hunt for fish with sonar and use hydraulics. But back in the day there in the Sea of Galilee, a dragnet, both ends of the net would be pinned to the back of the fishing boat or one in the back of the fishing boat, one on the shore. And a dragnet was basically a woven net. There were floats on the top to keep it from sinking all the way to the bottom. And there were weights on the bottom to drag it down. And you could drag this net along the bottom and get the fish. It's like a, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was let down. Now that's a real plight word. I'm using the NIV. The real word here is balo, which means it's like a net which was cast out, thrown into something, uh, sent into something. It was sent into the lake and caught all kinds of fish, every demographic, every ethnicity. When it was full of these fish, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore, or in some cases, to the boat, um, in more modern vernacular anyway. And the word pulled, that's nice. That means dragged it. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it'll be at the end of the age. Now, why is this so important? We're going to find out that this net or this construct is important because it has eschatological implications, which is a word which means it kind of speaks to eternity. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. What you've been given, this message, the way our Savior calls you to live is important because every human has a soul that will live forever either with God or separated from God. This is reality. You may say, I wish it wasn't true. Wishing something's not true has nothing to do with reality. You may not even believe it's true, but whether you believe it or not, it is, and everyone will find out. And the fact of it is, only Christians, whatever their denomination, have a message that can determine where that eternity is spent. Now, there are four words Jesus uses here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with preparing. It's used in another passage. Then I'm going to look at the word cast or thrown out. Then I'm going to look at the word dragged. And then I'm going to look at the word collected or connected. Now, how many of you begin to realize when Jesus touched you, he began to work on your life? Stick your hand up. That's kind of in the small print. Um, welcome to my kingdom. I love you. And the minute I get you, I'm going to change you. It's kind of the small print. You could hardly read it when you said yes. And he begins the diligent work of making you whole, um, working in your relationships, helping your marriage, helping you not to be bitter, dealing with your character. Now, let me help you understand that 
when God begins to deal with you, it's not just about your person. It's not just about making you happy or making you better or making you whole. It's about your purpose. And if you don't understand that, you could end up resentful. Because if you live life through the lens of why is this happening to me and is this good for me, there will be times you just won't be able to figure life out. Because it's not always in the end totally for your good. It might be for someone else's good who's watching you and you're to meet. Now, Jesus spent three and a half years in ministry. I know many of you are in a hurry, but that's one of the differences in you and God. He's not typically in a hurry. Think of this. At 12, year old, 12 years old, Jesus was the most anointed being to ever breathe air on the planet. Fully God, fully man. He was with the, the, the Sanhedrin. He confounded them. In their minds, this 12-year-old was ready to go to Athens, keep him in Jerusalem, let him go to Rome. He's the brightest being, and his daddy shoves him into a carpenter shop for 18 more years while he raises his siblings after his stepdad dies. Is that a waste? No. The father realized, I'm going to prepare my son because if I get him prepared right, though he was perfect, he'll change history in three and a half years. So Jesus begins to prepare you, deal with you. We think of all the miracles Jesus did, and he walked on the water, and he, you know, multiplied food. But in reality, he spent most of his time doing two things, being with his dad and dealing with a handful of men and women. Because he realized, when I go, they're it. And he did two things repeatedly. He worked with the fiber of their character. Why? Even at the Last Supper, when you look in John 13, it wasn't just about communion. He began to warn him, one of you is going to betray me, one's going to deny me, be humble, live as a servant, deal with your sin. Why? He realized that their individual lives were going to make up a net and a net is only as strong as its fiber. So when Christ begins to work in your life, it's not just to make you whole. He's going to use you. He's going to cast you into a mission. You're going to discover why you're born. Many of you are looking for a level of professional satisfaction that seems currently empty to you because you've not yet discovered your divine purpose, which in the end is the foundation of professional satisfaction. Now watch this. So he works in your character. But he doesn't just work in your character. He works in your relationships. Donnell got up here and she used the term. She said, hello, family. Here, that's not just a term. It's reality. I was talking to Daryl before this. We know, we've known each other 20 years. We know each other's children. Why? We're, just, we're family. Now, we have this whole emphasis here on family, but family's not just about great community, as wonderful it is. It's about the great commission. God's tying our lives together in small groups and friendship and working together for a reason. Now, let me clear up a misconception. In the Bible, in places like um, Ephesians 2.21 and Ephesians 4.16, it uses the word joined. How many of you heard the word joined? Now, here's the problem. We as Americans have a different understanding of joining something than God does. You ever heard of Sam's Club? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, 
I was a card-carrying member of Sam's Club. That was my food church. I love their spare ribs. I love the little snacks. I mean, you could almost get a free meal going from a little table to table and trying things and waiting 15 minutes and going back around the other way. And I mean, I love Sam. I was committed to Sam's. It met my need. I said, I am committed to you forever. Big parking, good prices. But then Costco came to town. And when Costco came to town, I just felt a tearing in my spirit. And I was proselyted by a Costco member who described those big steaks and those lamb chops to me. And like some of you, I thought, well, I would have me another church on the side because I love Grace Covenant, Pastor Brett, and I love that what he's serving. But ooh, that other church down the street's got those steaks, and that's good too. So then I decided, well, I just, what's better than one, two? So I had me a Costco and a Sam's. Now, unfortunately, when God talks about joining in the Bible, it doesn't quite work that way. It's more like joining the army. Remember that? Man, I, I'm so happy to join the army, and I raised my hand. I kind of got a little teary thinking about my country, and I took the oath. The only bad thing is I didn't like it the day after I joined. But, like, I couldn't burn my card or anything. I'm going to quit. They go, good, you go to prison for three years instead of leaving. I mean, I began to realize I just joined something that I freely joined, but I can't freely unjoin. Now, I'm not talking about Grace Covenant Church because we don't, we don't recruit people and we don't recruit them to stay. But we do believe God joins people. That means God places you in spiritual family, one, to make up for what was lacking in your biological or step family, but two... He joins because he knows when it gets rough, you're going to want to quit. But if you quit your family, you may kind of quit your purpose. He joins you. I mean, one time Jesus was talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the brother goes, my God, is this cannibalism? And everybody's starting to kind of think we're going to find another church. And I mean, they're all kind of leaving. Jesus goes, are you leaving me too? Peter goes, don't have any options. We're stuck. Why? Well, number one, there weren't any other churches in those days. But two, join. So God will come and join you to small group life and join you to this church, not just so you won't be lonely, but he has a purpose in this. Now, once he has made you a bit whole, once he's worked in the fiber of your life and you found family, you love the church, it's just amazing here. Here's just the nasty news. Once he's made you family and gotten you whole, he's going to snatch you up and throw you into something. It's just reality. It's why you're here. Now, this little word cast has a lot of implications. I can remember being joined to the first church like this one. Now, I have to say, when I first went, I was 17 years old, 18, filled with wisdom, of course, and I didn't like that church. Number one, they worshiped for 60 minutes. Now, I grew up Baptist, kind of white Baptist, and we worshiped like 10 minutes. They even raised their hands. We only raised our hands to fire the pastor to vote on what color to paint the church. I mean, they were rolling around and jumping and hollering. And the brother that led worship for an hour couldn't sing, could barely play guitar. He should have never quit his day job to be a church worship leader. I thought, these folk are crazy. I mean, what are they doing? They're beating bongo drums and all. I mean, this is nuts. But I loved it. Then he stood up to teach. I go, I'm not even sure I agree with it all, but I just love it. I got joined. I just got comfortable, and a crazy man came to my church and prayed over me and said, you're going to go to the nations of the world. No one believed it, including me. Till three months later, or whatever it was, I was in a war zone, Muslim Christian war. I started a church planter school at 22. Only problem is I'd never planted a church before. They're just desperate. There I was. He'll cast you into something. First of all, 
he'll cast you into service right in this church. Maybe it's in children's ministry. Maybe it's ushering. Maybe it's greeting. Maybe it's in hospitality. Maybe it's in small group leadership. But he'll cast you into service. But he won't just cast you into service. He'll cast you into other situations as well. Many of you may not like your job right now. Don't raise your hands, please. (laughs) Especially if you work here. Just kidding. Okay, now. Maybe you don't like where you're in school, or maybe you don't like, okay, why does God have me there? That's where you got to be real careful, because God will at times cast you into a situation that's not ultimately about you, but it's about the person or people you're to meet there that are only going to see light if you're there. God cast me into a war zone for a year. I didn't even like volunteer. Well, I guess I volunteered. He said, go. And I said, yes. I've learned when God says go and you don't say yes, he'll make you wish you would have gone. Anyway, that's another message though. So God himself, you're here for a reason. And all this wholeness and all this teaching is because God's going to pick you up, listen, and cast you into something. Cast you into a situation where people are hurting. Cast you into a situation where people need the light of Christ. Now, once the Bible says he casts the net, the net kind of hits the bottom. Some of you kind of feel like you've bottomed out today. Your career trajectory looks like this. You can't figure it out. Some of you would say, Pastor, I'm being dragged through things. Now, it says when that net gets thrown out, kind of the weights drag it down to the bottom and then it gets dragged out. That means that net is dragged along the bottom. Have you ever found yourself being dragged through something and you do anything to get undragged? Don't raise your hand. Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll read my Bible five minutes today instead of one minute. Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll tithe 15% for two months, give you a tip to rescue me. Like, you're getting dragged through something. I mean, Kathy and I, we, we look at the last 19 years of our t- life, at 19 out of 20, we faced serious illness in our family. Kind of, we kind of felt dragged around. Now, why would God do that? It's because he dragged us into some situations and dragged us into some relationships that proved to be redemptive and transformative for those people and for us in that matter, and we never would have met them if we weren't facing sickness. God will just lovingly allow you to be dragged through some things sometimes. Let me tell you something. There's coming a massive harvest to our country, but it's going to come a little differently than we expect. You see, there's two ways that God brings a harvest. There's what they call attractional. That means the church is so beautiful. This is a beautiful church. The worship, the preaching. I mean, the building is going to be beautiful, but the real beauty is you. Multi-ethnic, loving God, walking together. That attracts people. But there's a massive group in our society that's hurting. Maybe they've written off Christianity. Maybe they were hurt in it as a child. Maybe they felt who knows what. But they're not close enough to a church or a Christian to be attracted. 
That's where the church becomes missional. If you've ever watched those videos like National Geographic and all, they go down so deep, they're fish that have never seen light. There's a whole part of living creatures in, in the world that have never really seen light and sunlight. God allows his people to be dragged through their midst so they can see the light. I think of Apostle Paul before we slip to another point here. How many of you know he's a fairly serious Christian? Wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, and you would think he's now at the end of his life. He's either getting ready to be beheaded by Nero or he'll get beheaded on the next visit. Surely God's going to do him a big favor. How many of you give him a good send-off, take him on the Queen Mary? But when we look at Acts 27, he's on this nasty boat, and he tells the captain, if we sail, we're going to die. We may not make it. Captain doesn't listen. He's a prisoner. They get on that boat, and a 14-day hurricane comes out of nowhere. It gets so dark, they can't see their stars. They lose their ability to navigate. They hit a sandbar. The bottom of the ship is ripped out, and Paul takes command. They're all listening now. They've thrown off the boat into the water, washed up on the island of Malta. Why would God drag Paul through that? I mean, he's about to get martyred anyway. Why? How about a break? You ever feel that way? It's because all 276 of those people were saved, both redemptively and their lives were saved. He was washed up onto the island of Malta and revival broke out. Why might God drag you through something? Remember the Remember the, the last great recession? Remember that? That's the recession. When we got into it, we all felt recessed, and the government told us we were. Then we, we still felt recessed, and the government told us we weren't recessed anymore. Remember that one, okay? Then some people tell me it's gone. I don't know. I kind of feel recessed myself from time to time. But anyway, there it was. I had a lot of friends who almost lost everything in that recession, almost lost their homes, their businesses, millions of dollars. I had some friends that did lose a bunch. That doesn't seem fair. Why would one Christian keep his home and another Christian lose his home? It's because if God rescues his people out of everything, what about all those who aren't being rescued? Could it be that in God's wisdom at times he drags you and I through something because people need to see what it's like to suffer with Christ and see the contrast? It's not just about us. If it was, life was just about comfort, God would have never become a man to redeem you. What was in redemption for Jesus? Did he like need to become a human to prove something? No. You and I. He'll drag you through things. Now, the Bible says this. Once they drag him, and by the way, when do you get dragged out of it? When you're full. Full of God's purpose full of the people he wanted you to touch. He drags them back out, and then we have this little word, they collected them in baskets. Let's talk about this a second. Now, here in church speak, and how many of you know every profession has its own language? Ever try to read your doctor's prescription? You feel like you're in a foreign country. Or you're talking to a lawyer, they have a, a whole different language that you've never learned. Well, we have one in the church too, and pastors call this assimilation. When Pastor Donnell got up today and said, fill out your card, find the people with the blinking lights, that's called assimilation. Let's use a nicer word, connection. We're trying to connect people. 
And here in Grace Covenant, we have lots of classes to learn about the church and meet the pastors, but here's the real secret. This church is going to grow and grow. There are already thousands of you in a given Sunday, but there are going to be thousands more. And the real thing that determines whether a person God is adding to a church can find space in that family is not the size of the classes that tell them about the church. It's the size of the hearts of the people who make up the church. What do I mean by that? Basically, beloved, you have a beautiful community here. You've got small groups and congregational groups and fellowship and you do things. It's just really beautiful. And community, God says he puts the lonely in families. Community attracts. But the problem is the very thing that makes community so great, you have to be careful with because if great community becomes more important to you than the great commission, the command to reach people and make disciples... You're going to find when new people come into your small group or new people come into your church or new people come into your social world, that community is threatened because you lose that sense of intimacy and safety. Or it's simple as it's harder to find a seat or a parking place. Now, here's the problem. God wants to add thousands of people to you over the next years. Some of them will be your relatives, your friends. But what determines... The ability of the church to grow in the end is the size of your heart. You know, beloved, I, I tell you this. In our own family, over the years as we've adopted in different things, every adoption we've ever had has changed the makeup of our family for the good, for the better. Wouldn't be the same without it. And so it is in spiritual family. When God adds, we've got, ooh, kind of, I'm not as intimate as I used to be, and I don't know if I know. Listen, trust God with that, because he is in the process of adding to this family. Now, let me summarize this. God says, you're my net. We think of evangelism as, I'm going to cast the net. In reality, evangelism is, you are the net, you're being cast. You're being cast into the middle of people who need light cast into the middle of a situation where people are hurting and broken. And you get you ready for that, Jesus will deal with the fiber of your life. Some of you feel like, ooh, the Lord's magnifying glasses on me. Like, why is God so picky? Is he getting me ready for heaven? Well, if he just wanted to get you ready for heaven, just let you die, because when you see him, you'll be like him. No, no. He's got to use you here. And then he knits you into family, and then he grabs you, and he does something with you. cash into something. You don't always get to choose, sorry. Then he'll drag you through some things. But it's worth it. Because you have been given a message that can change the eternity of a human. And then just when we get community and family, a bunch more people come and our intimacy feels threatened, but it's worth it. You know, your fellowship if you know Christ today, for all eternity with your spiritual family. All eternity. But the one thing you won't be able to do in eternity is to be cast into the middle of hurting people who need the light. Join me up here, please, Pastor Duke. You're here this morning, you say, Pastor Jim, 
the Lord's been like preparing me a lot, maybe dragging me through a few things. I really need prayer. Put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you right now. You've been dragged. You kind of feel like carpet burned or road burned a bit today. You've been trying to figure out what's it have to do with me. Holy Spirit, what a great church this is. What great people they are. Why, we're building that building. You're building this building, Lord. You're getting us ready for that building and the thousands of more people that are going to come here. No matter what you've cast us into today, no matter what you're dragging us through today, no matter how you're preparing us, it's just worth it. We're stunned that you call us your children. We're amazed that we can be your friends. Now you allow us to, to co-labor with you, to partner with you, to change our planet. Help us. Touch us. Move on us, Lord. Amen.